Asia Tech Podcast. 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 Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello, welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown, joined in the studio today by Gautam Ganguly, all the way from Bangkok. Gautam, how are you doing? Good morning, Graham. I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Before we get started, before we dive into your illustrious career, I want to know how you got to Bangkok in the first place, because you're from New Delhi, aren't you? But you're now that, that's right. based in Bangkok. How long have you been in Bangkok? Oh, well, it's been uh, 14 years. 14 um, years. Wow. Uh, and and Bangkok wasn't really uh, sitting uh, in the career ladder or the career <laughs> map. It was an um, accident. It was a, a sharp turning in your career trajectory. Let's talk about that. So you, you're from Delhi. You came to Bangkok in 2004-ish, roundabout. Then. That's right. That's right. Yeah. How did uh, that happen then? So what, what happened was that uh, the company I was working in um, – in Delhi, they had a partner in, in Thailand. And these guys were mostly uh, using us in Delhi for a lot of their uh, tech work. Um, one of the uh, one of the members, management members uh, in my company was probably a shareholder in this company as well. And uh, they had a project running in Thailand for uh, Taiko Electronics. And that's how I got involved with, uh, with one of the projects in Taiko. And I was moved here for about six months uh, to help them with the project. And then, you know, one thing led to another. We had more work coming my way. And then uh, eventually Tyco retained me. Mm. So I ended up being with them for about, I guess, two years or on. And then uh, that's, that's, that, was, uh, that was my uh, um, entry into Thailand, you know. So it mm. was... Uh, it was completely by chance and unplanned, it, yeah. it only happened. Yeah, it was completely unplanned. And it, it really happened with, with regards to uh, uh, the work that I did on that first project. Uh, so uh, was that working for SAP at the time where you were at SAP in Delhi or you started with SAP? No, uh, I think SAP also happened in Thailand. What I right. was really doing at that point in time was I have a, I have a technical background. So uh, we were actually developing uh, – uh, software uh, on the .NET stack, and uh, the work that we did for Tyco was uh, the Six Sigma team in Tyco used to do lots of uh, improvement projects, mm. and we used to convert uh, those Six Sigma initiatives into uh, technical solutions, so that uh, you know uh, the Six Sigma projects can be monitored and be executed, and so on and so forth. Um, so that was the work that I was doing. But with, with regards to what was happening uh, as, as part of the Six Sigma initiative, uh, I learned a lot. I learned immensely about uh, manufacturing processes and how improvements are envisioned and planned and executed in manufacturing processes. Mm. And uh, as a matter of chance as well, when, when I started working in uh, India, uh, I started with this company called uh, the Oswal Group. and They had this little uh, IT subsidiary called Oswal Infotech. So this is a huge uh, manufacturing group as well. They're into chemicals and textiles and lots of other things. Mm. And uh, I was literally initiated into the manufacturing industry from the point in time that I started working with them. So um, the, one of the first roles that I had to take on was uh, of, of that of a, um, a system anal analyst. And uh, that also exposed me to loads and loads of manufacturing processes, literally the end-to-end -end spectrum, mm -hmm. right, from procurement to sales to finance, you know, the manufacturing side, the production planning side, a lot of it. And then that know-how somehow got utilized and translated into things that uh, I was doing for uh, projects in Tyco. Mm. So was that, Tyco was, yeah. was, was that part of the plan, Galtam? I mean, you, you studied, you went to Indira Gandhi University in mm -hmm. Delhi, Mm -hmm. And you studied. Well, you're, you're as you said, you're a computer guy from your background and your studies, and you graduated. Right. Was that part of the plan to go into like ERP and systems analysis, and you know, obviously not go to Thailand? Did you have an idea when you graduated what you were going to do? Was there a clear path? Um, I think it's uh, when when you when you finish your studies. I guess it applies to lots of other uh, streams as well. Once you finish, it's difficult to have. Uh, you know, a choice as to mm. what do you really want to do. Um, I think what you're thrown at, uh, what you're thrown into, what you get thrown into initially kind of molds that decision and path. But at the same time, having said so, uh, 
I had I always had a very open mind about mm. uh, what gets thrown at me and what do I like. Um, and in that sense, uh, when I was put inside uh, a manufacturing environment, I, I rather enjoyed it. Uh, and I think that was uh, one of those things which kind of uh, held on to me. And mm. even today, I have clients with which now works has clients in the manufacturing industry. So right. uh, that has always stayed on with me. And I have never, uh, despite the fact that uh, whatever we're doing right now, I have never uh, disconnected myself from that side of uh, that that industry you know the manufacturing vertical i have mm. i've never really uh, disconnected myself from there what was it uh, about that you particularly enjoyed because you like i mean manufacturing could be everything and anything can't it that's right what correct, was the correct. what was the angle of it that you really got into that when you were sort of first exposed after graduating you thought yeah this is really interesting uh, well, uh, that the first reason is completely uh, disconnected from the real world. I think uh, <laughs> when I got uh, when I got thrown into the the SA side of things, uh, yeah. I, I got to travel and you know meet different people and see different places, and uh, I think I enjoyed that part. Mm. Uh, that was that was the motivator. Okay, you if you are an SA, you at least get to go to meet ten different people and. Uh, uh, kind of see different places and see how things work in the real world. That was, that was really interesting for me too. Um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, so one of the plants that we visited uh, when, when I was working with the Oswalds was this huge yarn manufacturing company. And they had everything in there, right? From the point of procuring uh, raw fiber to processing it into, into threads, you know, and that process was so delicately complicated uh, that it, on, on a normal basis, you wouldn't know that the shirt you're wearing really goes through such a detailed process. Right. And to introduce technology to it uh, was very interesting and challenging at the same time because at that point in time, uh, uh, they were using something uh, which their in-house team had built uh, over 10, 12 odd years. And, and that team had done a very good job. They were obviously very proud of it. And we were trying to not reinvent the wheel, but take the best of their processes and add more improvisation to it and build something new for them. Mm. Um, and that's how the uh, the know-how and the interest in uh, ERP systems grew for me. Right, right. Um, so that's quite a top-level view of the, the whole process, isn't it? Rather than just being right, a, right. an engineer in the computer sense of just doing a bit of code, you're, you're going into a factory and saying, look at the whole process. And you're, you're not just dealing with machines, you're dealing essentially with people, aren't you? Because I imagine that's exactly right. a lot of people, uh, you know, in manufacturing may be a little bit resistant to new new ideas, right? I mean, that must be something quite new for you coming from the computer world is that you're actually having to deal with emotional decisions and, you know, a whole the politics that goes into these family businesses and so on. Absolutely. Uh, you're very right. In fact, you brought about another point here that, uh, you know, resistance to change is something uh, very human. Uh, that's a very human thing yeah. that comes out as a result of introducing anything new. And we're only talking about software here. And uh, I think the the part that I really enjoyed the most is uh, this this human tech interaction that uh, on one side you have you have people who've been working uh, in these in the it's it's very typical that you walk into a manufacturing industry and uh, you will always find this certain part of the workforce which has been there forever. Yeah, exactly. they've been there like since like yeah. maybe ten or fifteen or years, and to go to them, walk down to them, and say, "Here's what you're not doing right." Yeah, it sometimes gets uh, <laughs> offensive They're threatened, for them. Aren't they? you know? But also so, for them, it, you know, they that's their job for life, really, isn't it? For a lot absolutely. of people, if they absolutely. were to lose that job, it would be difficult for them to reskill, wouldn't it? Ah, uh, yes, but uh, I think uh, there is also a bit of a stereotype built around the fact that if technology is introduced. Um, yeah people will lose their jobs. It's always not like that. Mm -hmm. I have always uh, seen that uh, people evolve once they embrace technology and they often uh, figure out new ways of doing the same thing. Uh, you know, they are, they are more, uh, more informed and in a much better educated decision point stage to kind of, um, you know, use the team more effectively instead mm -hmm. of having to kind of uh, deallocate people from functions and say, you know, uh, you are not useful anymore. Any mm -hmm. person who's been for a, been, been involved in a particular process for 10 years has in enormous amount of know-how mm -hmm. and uh, you, you just cannot 
delocate that person from yeah, that function. You, know? so you? you can't write them off. So yeah. that's there. I mean, that's human capital at the end of the day. And I think um, almost everywhere that I have had the opportunity to work, I've always seen uh, people in the management uh, being aware of the fact that this human capital can be much better utilized if if the redundant steps and processes are taken out of their hand. And that's yeah. what software does. I'm fascinated by this the story of one of the first experiences you had going out into the field in this this manufacturing company that was dealing with threads and fibers and I mean textiles is obviously a huge industry in India and it, I guess it has many mm-hmm. different levels from the the very sort of basic spinning the loom type textile yeah. all the yeah. way up to the, the huge industrial manufacturing. What did you learn from that process? Because you were quite young and new to the field, did you sort of come yes. away from that thinking, well? This is different, or I've learned something from this. Well, I definitely figured that they don't teach you all this in school. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's it's quite a revelation. I, I wanted to say this. I think, in a way, I, have, I was fortunate during that time to be introduced at a point in time and in a certain position um, uh, to get exposed to all of these processes at, at such a top level. You know, um, And that's when you realize that uh, this stuff is not, not taught in school and... Uh, you're lucky to get exposed to all of yeah. this at the same time and then leverage what you have learned. So, uh, you know, in the in the in the final six months, everyone gets to intern. And during that time, we learned a lot of coding, to be honest, uh, a lot of a lot of real real life coding. Uh, how do you code not a school project, but but a real project? You know, mm. so we learned some architectural concepts and how to build uh, uh, software which effectively runs and efficiently runs and so on and so forth. But to use all of that basic know-how and, and apply it on, on something which is an end-to-end process was very, very fascinating. Mm. And in fact, uh, once I I got introduced to the work that we were doing at uh, Tyco, uh, Tyco was a completely different monster because Tyco was, I was in the uh, plant which was manufacturing, this is the energy division at Tyco, and uh, they were manufacturing uh, uh, energy, uh, what should I say, products, you know, like uh, high-tension cables and right. spacers and dampers. Um, and this this plant in Thailand was manufacturing for the rest of the world. So now the scope of things literally changed. Uh, now you were not only getting exposed to manufacturing, but this was a different product, different processes, different engineering processes altogether. Mm. And this thing was exposing me to how different markets in the world function. Mm. So uh, this this was a this was a different uh, you know um, different level altogether in in terms of how you think and how you uh, allow these processes to interact with each other. So uh, so that was uh, an upgrade in in the level of thinking to uh, required to 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 deliver. You know, yeah, so technology yeah. was not the only thing there. Then now now you were learning. Uh, lots of other things. The application, uh, which is the, the the fuzzy side of things, as you say, it's not yes, taught in school. Yeah. You moved to Thailand. I mean, was it two thousand and four? Correct. Okay. That's right. Okay. That's so right. Yeah. when you made that move from New Delhi to Thailand, to I'm curious to know how people reacted to that because I imagine that you know you must have had an idea of what you were going to do and where that was going to go. Obviously, you had the job lined up and everything. There was the project there. A lot of Indians sort of they look the other way, don't they? They look to either going to the valley or going to oh, yeah. East Coast <laughs> US or even going to London. You know, how was that for you? Did you have people sort of scratch their heads and thought, "Why are you moving to Thailand? That's like a, a step back. You should be going to you know the old world, so to speak." How did that go down? Um, uh... I still don't know the right way to answer that question 14 years down the line <laughs> because it was such a surprise. And you're very right. I think uh, the time that I spent in uh, the first year that I ended up working in India, I all, I had friends who were ready to go to the US or, or to the UK or, you know, that part of the world. Some made their way into Singapore and uh, I uh, just walked into Thailand. <laughs> um <laughs> I think it's today I can say that uh, the tech industry in 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 Thailand is majorly underestimated. Yeah. The perception of yeah. Thailand as a tourist destination is is just a perception. I think um, uh, aviation is aviation and manufacturing and the tech industry now is uh, they're, they're so huge now mm-hmm. that. Um, I wish Thailand did more to market this side of uh, theirs, 
to, to the world, you know, mm-hmm. other than just tourism. But again, this is a export-based economy and tourism plays a huge role in in what uh, in, 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 in the revenues that this country generates. Yeah. So but but I'm also at the same time I'm saying tech is definitely catching up. If you look back uh, just five years, don't go back uh, the 14 years that I've been here. The tech space has enormously evolved, um, and because of that, uh, you have to give it to Thailand in this that they have done such a good job at marketing Thailand as as the go-to tech place, especially for the startup industry. That uh, the human capital here is also evolving. So. Five years back, if you were to look for uh, tech resources compared to uh, today, uh, the kind of people you meet today uh, are are way more evolved. Yeah. Yes, it is it is a challenge. It is always a challenge to find the right guy to fit the team that is always going to be there. In and that I guess it exists everywhere. Thailand is no exception. But uh, the the evolution that has taken place, uh, the the tech work the tech works uh, workforce they they understand as to what is. Uh, expected out of them and they kind of try to keep up with uh, the latest tech and and the know-how and so on and so forth so agree uh, yeah. which is a good which is a good side to this it's evolving for sure i want to go into a bit more detail about the thailand ecosystem in a minute and especially i was talking to kid pacharyanon who runs the mm-hmm. rise accelerator and mm-hmm. the national accelerator there and just talking about how now in thailand there's it's no longer expats i mean with all due respect to yourself, all, all the expats that brought that spirit of entrepreneurialism to a new generation of ties. Now it's a lot of ties coming through. But let's get to that in a minute. Let's talk about yourself and eWorks consultants, because let's put it on the table and help people understand. You've got three components to that. So tell us a little bit about what eWorks consultants does. Uh, so uh, to tell you a bit about eWorks, I have to take a step back and tell you what happened after Tyco. So uh, after it. I finished my term uh, in Tyco, I was at the company called SNA Management Consultants, which was also a SAP channel partner. And uh, I, I, until today, I credit my ex-boss there. Uh, she was instrumental in uh, identifying me as uh, a person with sales skills and pre-sales mm-hmm. skills. And mm-hmm. she was the one to push me into sales. And... Uh, so, however, I got into SNA as uh, a tech consultant. I got trained in SAP and, uh, you know, I helped them in their tech development projects as well as SAP rollouts. I also got pushed into the sales side of things. And uh, now I got exposed to lots of uh, pre-sales uh, processes and how do you prospect and how do you uh, approach clients, you know, conduct demos for them, which are realistic to their uh, requirements. And that kind of molded me uh, as a sales guy. Um, but after after being with them for about uh, three and a half years, uh, I, I think somehow... Uh, a vision kind of started to uh, assemble inside my head that I want to do my own product in the manufacturing industry mm-hmm. uh, and something which is, uh, you know, web-based, go towards the e-commerce side of things. Because uh, during that time, you know, e-commerce was absolutely new to how things were done here, um, especially in in the, in the SME uh, scale of things you know uh, there were all you know people like uh, uh, the, the sanooks and some e-commerce portals office made they were always there uh, but that's the enterprise side of things on the sme side uh, not too many people were there but my my mind was trying to uh, build something which could be useful for the sme uh, sme sector and uh, eventually uh, when i formed eworks uh, you know i had to leverage my existing know-how, which was SAP. So we started off doing some SAP consulting work, some development work. But over time, uh, I think uh, the thought process of trying to have your own product, something uh, which is which is on the cloud, uh, kind of that 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 thought process was always evolving. Mm. So fast forward to present day in time. Uh, right now, we have uh, a product portfolio and a and a services portfolio. So in the in the product side, we've got three products. Uh, We've got Express Talks, which is actually uh, one of the enablers for a records management service. So we take uh, documents, we scan them. Uh, once they are scanned, they're sitting in Express Talks for you to see. And then we physically store the documents in a document warehouse as well. So that's Express Talks. Uh, then we've got Billing Light. Uh, Billing Light is a web-based ERP. Uh, it's as simple as that. So we've got sales, we've got purchase, we've got inventory, and we've got warehousing. Uh, 
so the warehousing component is quite interesting because uh, we partnered with uh, Honeywell. Uh, E-Works is a, a silver level ISV for Honeywell's mobility solution uh, devices. Uh, so we have uh, we have we have a, a you know a warehousing software built for uh, built to work on the mobility devices of Honeywell. Uh, typically referring to the scanners here. Uh, so that's that's another thing, and then we've got uh, Foodie. Foodie is barely eighteen months old, mm. and this is an e-commerce platform for uh, restaurants and QSR chains. Uh, and it's uh, this is to call it a platform would would be to underestimate it. It's actually an ecosystem. You know, the food industry is an ecosystem itself, built of loads of little microservices. You can get, uh, you know, you have delivery, and you've got. The queue systems and you've got POS and you've got e-commerce and payments and then loyalty and uh, customer feedback and so on and so forth. So Foodie is this entire ecosystem built with these uh, little uh, microservices inside mm. so that you take it to any restaurant or a chain and then uh, uh, you can instantly get them, get them e-commerce enabled and mm. then completely automate their back office operations. So uh, well, even for takes, a single restaurant Absolutely, right, absolutely. Okay. So it's it's very very scalable, and uh, it's uh, it can go for just a single store operation to hundreds of stores. It doesn't matter. I'm fascinated uh, by the sales process in selling a product like Foodie, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people out there with apps in different applications, different verticals. And, mm-hmm. you know, coming from the computer background, it's very tempting. It's very comfortable just to sit behind the screen, isn't it? And send a few emails, but you've mm-hmm. got to get out there. You've got, especially if, I suppose, if you're talking to restaurants, you've got to get out there and hustle. And you're, you're, you know, you've said yourself, you're a sales guy. I mean, you do a lot of sales in the business. You have to be, if you're a founder, how do you go out and get people on board with foodie because i think this is an interesting case study for people who have an app or a service and they're thinking how do i actually sell this thing um i have to say uh my prospecting doesn't happen outbound it's always inbound i always have uh, uh you know my clientele refer me to their friends and people who they know and um the sales process for me is never, uh, you know, a hard sell of a product. It's always uh, giving them know-how about what we do and what our solution can do for them. So uh, whether you talk about Foodie or Billing Light or Express Dogs, uh, if I were to go to you as a manufacturer and I would try to uh, uh, help you out uh, with with Billing Light, for example, I'd never uh, go and try to tell you that, oh, you know what, I've got an ERP software and this right. is the licensing cost or this is what you should do. No, never. I think uh, it's always the other way around. Uh, we, the fact that uh, my experience with the manufacturing industry uh, is put on the table and, you know, for them to review and to understand that, okay, here's a guy who can help us with the problems that we have. And then uh, put the software into those problems and fit the holes and those little gaps and tell them that this is how you seal your problems. So it works the same way for, for foodie as well. Restaurants have lots of uh, challenges and pain points. Uh, and uh, we know when, when foodie goes inside those little pain points and the restaurant sees that, okay, my problem is getting solved here. So uh, that's, that's how the sales process works. Mm. You interestingly said the uh, pain points, you're, you're speaking like a marketer now, which I think is really important <laughs> because, you know, when, when we tend to, I, I come from a computer background as myself and it's, mm-hmm. it's easy to think like an engineer to say, hey, I've got this great app, I've got this great service, great platform, and this is what it does. But the guy on the other side is thinking, uh, I have this problem, how the hell can I solve it, right? And then you sort of walk into their life and say, okay, right, I have a solution for that. How do you actually go about talking about things like pain points to a, a restaurant owner or to an office manager or to the CEO of a company who may be interested in the billing side of things. How does that actually work? Um, good question. In the sense that you talked about a restaurant manager and uh, you know, guy at a, an office manager and then someone in the production industry, manufacturing industry. Look, uh, there is always a phase to this conversation. The first phase when you're introducing yourself and they're introducing themselves to you is... Uh, is a know you, know me kind of a phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it translates into, uh, uh, it, 
it translates into a phase uh, in the conversation where you're you're talking about uh, things that bother you at home. You know, trying to work with the client is uh, is is also a marriage. At the end of the day, uh, they tell <laughs> them true, uh, they, they they tell you about problems at home, and you tell them about problems at home, and you figure out a way to patch those problems up. So yeah. it works exactly the same way. However, there is, uh, um, with, with all our clients, uh, I think uh, there is always a personal relationship uh, side of things which which molds itself into uh, a professional relationship. And I think that conversation itself, uh, in that conversation itself, uh, our clients, they bring about their their issues that you know what this is a problem that i'm having uh, mm. for example uh, if you were if you were to talk about foodie uh, i have a difficult time trying to uh, uh, reduce my 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 delivery time or i'm having a difficult time trying to reduce my cooking to packaging time so how can foodie uh, as a software as a non-human element you know that's the important thing what they are thinking about how can something which is a non-human element help in something operational so uh, and and this particular factor applies to every other software component software product that i talked about so even in billing light when they have let's say a complicated sales or purchase processes they try to know how can we reduce all this manual paperwork which has to be done by a, a, a you know which requires human interaction how do we reduce all of that so I think, uh, getting back to your question, I think uh, this 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 initial conversation where two people get to know each other well, mm. and you and you create this this personal bond uh, at, at at a certain level, is does does that becomes a basis for uh, helping for 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 them to let us know what their problems are. Yeah, I mean, this is so important as well as a lesson for startup founders that importance of building relationships isn't it that people buy people first i think people tend yes, to get yes. it's you know it's always the person you're buying from if you could have the best product in the world but if we don't get on it ain't gonna happen and exactly know, so that's so important and that whole relationship building even though you're dealing with technology is what you go back to the beginning of this conversation is that what they don't necessarily teach you at university they teach you the domain knowledge but actually applying that domain knowledge requires getting out there and building those relationships now you said that you get a lot of inbounds so you get right. referrals so a restaurant owner refers you to another restaurant they all talk don't they so they all sort of say right, you know right, what's going right. on that's how they find out do you in any way try and structure that process because it referrals are a great way to build a business but it's a process, isn't it? You have to kind of have a process in place. How, how do you go about doing that? Because your experience will help other people understand, okay, I can't just sort of wait for referrals to come through the door. I've got to go out and ask for them sometimes. Mm. How, how do you actually do that? What works for you? Well, uh, we do the normal prospecting process that anyone else does. Uh, to be honest, we have uh, very little of any social media marketing. Uh, mm. I usually, uh, again, within my known network, I go out and I network uh, person to person at a person to person level. And uh, that kind of leads to one thing or the other. Um, but like I said, uh, I, I never go out and try to sell from the first day and uh, if anyone is listening to this podcast later in the future, who is in the tech industry in the sales function, I would say the same thing to you mm. that um, people out there know that you're selling software. I think that's out there to be clearly and uh, clearly assumed and taken for granted that you are out there for selling software. But when you go out there to meet people, it doesn't have to be the basis of the conversation. It, it has to become uh, a very person to person conversation. Mm. And that only will lead to, the the further relationship uh, if the person sitting across the table likes you and you like the person sitting across the table as well so uh, there are always clients uh, which you can instantly go out and help with because they are in the frame of mind first of all and in the in a, in a certain situation where it's ideal for your software product to go out there but i also come across clients who are may be mentally prepared but operationally they are not prepared to mm. to take on a software which is going to touch every end of their operational spectrum and maybe it's it's a lot more beneficial to go out there and tell that specific land that i really like you as a person and an, as an organization and i think at this point in time it's better to wait out till you fix certain things yeah. in your operation and then bring the software on board otherwise the project is just going to be late 
Mm, that's good advice you know? as well. So, so that also happens. Uh, so when we go out and we meet clients who are probably mentally prepared to take us on, but operationally not there yet, we actually tell them that, look, this may not be the right time. Maybe we should get together on the next Friday or <laughs> next month, something like that. Right, you know? right. Are there clients as well, or not clients, but prospects who are mentally unprepared, but prepared to waste your time, if you like? You know, the, I, do you, How do you deal with those? Because... One of the challenges I see, and I faced this growing a business years ago, my, you know, is that there's a lot of people who want to say yes and know what you've got to do. But the real challenge in growing is to be able to say no to a particular group of, of prospects. I won't call them clients because you're not doing business with them, right? But some people say, okay, I, I can't service these companies, right? Because they're just mm-hmm. not ready mentally or, you know, it's not a good fit. How do you deal with that? Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll skip the particular section where people come with requirements which don't really match with what we do. Uh, so excluding those, uh, we do come up with people uh, where the motivation of acquiring a certain software is not know-how. It, mm. is, it, is, uh, it, is, it is some sort of an impulse because uh, they saw something working at their client or at their competitor's space or someone told them, oh, you're... You're going to look good if you have right. this. If you if you have a scan, I, I actually see this so often in uh, in the ERP space, especially with you know, uh, Billing Light has this warehousing component, and I have multiple clients tell me, "Oh, you know what? My competitor he's got scanners. I want scanners too." So saying I want scanner, I want to use a scanner is is a tiny, mini bit of trying exactly. to introduce an ERP software into yeah. your organization where. Right from the guy who's in the warehouse to someone who's working in your accounts department, your finance person is going, everyone in that entire chain of events is going to touch the software and you only want the scanner. You know, so there are, there are always these scenarios where people react on impulse. And I had this client who uh, wanted to look really professional because uh, they had their first international uh, customer. They were always selling domestically and they had their first international client and they wanted to look good. So they wanted to have like uh, uh, something where their clients would come and log in online and, you know, post their requirement, their sales orders online mm. and these guys would process it. I mean, it sounds so flowery when you, uh, when you pitch this as a concept, but it requires a lot of operational readiness uh, to do something like that. Mm. Did you have so to turn the that tech- down? Well, that particular instant, we didn't have to turn it down, but we educated them enough, right. which took uh, a lot of time. So uh, that is another challenge. I think uh, software and time sometimes don't go hand in hand. You know, mm. uh, the more you educate, the more time it takes. And then uh, pe- everyone has deadlines and expectations and timelines and so on and so forth. So um, we, we never say no, but we always educate the person to tell them that this is perhaps not the right time to go ahead and do this. Uh, right. So, so, so it's a very know-how based thing. I mean, this is a knowledge industry. So I guess that's how it's, that's how it's supposed to be. So how do you spend your time? You have these three core components of eWorks. How many people are you now at eWorks? Well, at eWorks, we are a little under 10 people. Uh, So we have a core team who looks after all the tech side. I have uh, at least 40 to 50% of my hands and legs uh, within the tech side of things. Mm. Um, The sales side is entirely um, executed by me. Right. So you're the relationship builder. You're the face of the business. And you're the go-to guy if if somebody, you know, wants to know who's my contact at eWorks, right? Absolutely. Uh, I have to also say that, you know, uh, I talked about Express Docs and Billing Light and Foodie. Um, all these three products, Express Docs, the first version was done way back in 2006. And that was entirely, I wrote it myself. Uh, the second version uh, was where my team kind of contributed to certain features. Uh, Billing Light, again, the first version, I wrote it entirely myself back in 2013. And then we had the second version come out in 2015, where again, my team took that on. The same thing happened with Foodie. I kind of uh, pretty much started the entire thing and then assigned it to my team. And so uh, you see the entire, uh, the software architecture and how it's done, um, I have had my involvement in right. it. So the DNA is yours, right? The you, DNA you, is. Uh, well, I mean, I if, use, if you look at, I mean, you look at the the history of successful founders. If you go to Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos or the, the Google boys, they all wrote the code. The internal kernel all came from them. Mm-hmm. Right? The first mm-hmm. ever lines came from them. 
are you sort of tempted to go back in and play with the code because you know how to do that and you're good at it? Is that sort of something you do on a day-to-day basis or you, do you find you have to sort of force yourself to keep hands off now? Uh, this is such a challenge on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, my uh, I'm very passionate about the tech side of things. I always enjoy doing it, but I also have a practical side of me which says that uh, I can't be doing it whole day because there there is a sales side to things. So either I get someone who's who's my sales face or I do it myself because I enjoy the sales side as well. So to be honest with you, um, I I never disconnect from uh, the tech side of things. Mm. Having said so, I'm not micromanaging my tech operation as well. I have my guys are uh, very talented in what they do, and uh, uh, we have uh, we have very good understanding about uh, what I expect and what they expect in terms of. Because here's the thing with tech: uh, sometimes uh, my expectation of a certain feature is really the sales side of things, yeah. and and my tech guy probably will say, "Oh, you know what? There are two ways of doing it. I like way one because you like it and you want to sell it, but maybe way two is better. It'll take some more time, so I I prefer to go with way two then." You know, so uh, that sync between the tech team is also very important to understand for for a tech guy to understand the sales side of expectations and the other way around, yeah. the vice versa thing. So uh, in the present day, I do involve myself in the tech process. Like I said, I don't micromanage it, uh, but I don't think there will be a day where I'll completely detach myself from it. Right, that right. that yeah. ain't going to happen. But, you know, maybe that's a good thing as well, because. I think one of the challenges facing non-technical founders is that, mm-hmm. like you say, expectations may be mismatched. The fact that you've written code, you understand how long it takes, you understand what changes require what kind of you know resources. And, yeah. and you've also gone out there and, and talked to people and walked the shop floors of factories. You understand what those people are feeling as well. It's kind of important that people have that end-to-end understanding. Right, right. I, I think right. one of the challenges now, especially... There's a lot of, I don't know if you see this, but I'll say something slightly controversial is that there's a lot of young founders coming out today who specialize in one thing, like they Mm -hmm. can just do code or they don't have really much life experience. And that's a bit of a challenge because, you know, they don't understand that they're writing code for people in factories or offices or whatever it is. And it's very difficult for them to empathize, I suppose is the word that I want to use with those people. And, I don't know if you see that in Thailand as well, but, you know, I certainly see it in a lot of the ecosystems that I go to that, you know, people are just great at writing code. However, you know, they don't know what the office manager really thinks about on a day-to-day basis. And there's a big disconnect there. Um, You're very right. In fact, uh, one of the things that I was coming to was um, whether it's a startup or, or, or a business that is uh, doing products, um, the the business know-how not only helps in trying to you know uh, have a proper development cycle running in terms of what customer requirements are are or not or not not realistic requirements but it's equally important to have uh, you see any product will have its roadmap mm-hmm. and the roadmap can only be efficiently developed and executed if you know what's happening in the industry so and for for that to for that to be uh, for you to know that correctly, you can either be an operational guy or someone who has experience in uh, in the industry in the past, given your career path. So all of these startups, uh, I guess their source of this know-how is either through the mentorship programs that they go through or they must then have, uh, or other than that, alternative is they must have a co-founder who's, who's good at the business side of things, uh, who also may be their sales face, uh, but that's that's very important and this other thing about uh uh you know founders depending entirely on the tech product uh well that's a debate which can go endlessly because there's so yeah. many sides to this uh exactly. there are i have i have met uh founders who never think their product is ready to push it to to, to the market and uh, that is another uh, very uh, uh a tech limitation to a tech founder. You know, they always think that the product is not perfect. Perfectionist, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, there needs to be a point where from a business process point of view, your your product is there. Maybe you have 10 processes and you're only at five. Uh, But it's important to talk about at least the five that you have. Hmm. Um, that's, that's certainly there. Do you, I mean, as a founder yourself, did you ship early? Did you, I suppose... 
the the moment of truth, you know, get it into the hands of a paying customer. Did you sort of expedite that or you talked about perfectionism in coders. How did you sort of balance that sort of internal need to get the code right and the need to get some feedback from the customer? Were you sort of more on the aggressive side of just let's ship some buggy code and see what people say in the early days? Or how do you actually do that? And I'm thinking about it for advice for those founders today who are thinking, oh, no, the code's not right. What do I do? I think every uh, uh, every software company uh, has has a client or certain clients who are happy to be used as test beds for R&D. Mm. And uh, we also have certain clients who don't mind if they're getting used for certain R&D in exchange for the features that we we end up developing, you know? So, uh, but you got to establish that, right? You, you can't ship the unfinished product to people who aren't happy with that. Yeah. You, you actually no, have to establish you, that process. So that's the, what uh, you, you cannot, you cannot all always, you know, you cannot deliver a pizza, which is half baked. You, right. you cannot do that. You'll, you'll make the guy angry and he will never want to work with you again. So, uh, that, that doesn't happen. But uh, like I said, going back into my conversation, when I said that, uh, our interaction with our customer usually always is from uh, it begins uh, with a friendship and the friendship only grows. Uh, and within the friendship, we execute the software project. So given the friendship uh, being the basis for everything else, uh, it becomes very clear or evident at certain at a certain point in time if, if the gentleman would be happy to become a test bed for some of our R&D or not. We, of course, make that clear that would you like us to experiment with this process mm-hmm. if you don't mind? There might be some bugs in the section. He's like, yeah, okay, go ahead and do it and see what comes out of it. So that's how uh, it, it really works for us. Mm, that's built on but, trust, but, isn't it? That, that's the key word here, isn't it? You built that relationship and they'll forgive yes. you for mistakes or things that aren't quite right because they trust yeah. you. They understand that in, in the grand scheme of things, at the end of the day, they're going to get a better product and they're going to grow with it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. You're, you're, you're very right about pointing that out. So... Uh, so how, like said, how, do, how do you grow yeah. eWorks? What's, let, let's sort of talk about the future for you because you have 10 people, you have a good client base, you have the three components. You could keep yeah. it like this for the next five or 10 years or do something else. I mean, you know, you could grow that, you could scale that. I mean, every, there's always that pressure to scale. You know, you've got to have thousands and thousands of clients. You've got to be covering all these different industries. And what's it like for you? Do you have a vision of where that's going to go or are you just sort of doing the day-to-day and seeing what's going on? Uh, I think the day-to-day uh, to figure out what's going on, that time has kind of passed for us. Uh, in the past uh, five or six years, I would say, um, you know, uh, we have, uh, I have personally had to struggle a bit to get the vision right about what we want to do in the future. Mm-hmm. And we have moved from SAP consulting to development to being purely a product-based company. And I've got three products right now. Now, it might be up for debate that where is the product focus and uh, I have to say, I have been asked this question many times. You have three products, which one is the focus? I said all the three are focused right now because right. Uh, I'm emotionally linked to all the three. It is possible in the near future that one of them really grows out the other and then we'll have to take a decision about what to do about the one which is not growing. Um, you know, uh, But that's a different thing to consider in the future. But right now, uh, what I can say is that uh, we are already scaling at this point in time uh, in at, at a geographical level so i have clients in laos i have worked for clients in indonesia uh so that is that is working uh, we also have a client in singapore so that 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 geographical scaling thing is working mm. we are not in a position to put uh, teams instantly out there to support those clients on a day-to-day basis but that is also not the requirement here yet uh, once we execute the software runs on autopilot and everything runs on its own um, and that's exactly how the cloud space operates in the present day time if you look at all cloud products that's how they operate you don't have teams sitting all over the world you have maybe a core team sitting somewhere uh, but you have to have uh, a well executed support process which we have mm-hmm. so I'm not scared about attempting to support a client who's in Laos or Singapore or Indonesia. That, that's not what I'm scared about. Hmm. But uh, we have obviously tested our products to be scalable. So if I were to say uh, Foodie, Foodie has gone through um, an audit, a literal technical audit of attempting to process uh, a few thousand orders per hour to few hundred thousand orders per hour. You know, it has, it has gone through that. So uh, with that kind of... Uh, 
you know, scalable software in place, we feel confident that uh, you can go ahead and scale across the geography. Mm-hmm. So the different product, uh, Express Docs, we don't want to scale anywhere out of Thailand right now because uh, it has a physical, tangible element to it, you know, access to physical documents. So that's uh, going to be done in Thailand only. Billing Light has clients in Thailand as well as in Laos. Um, Foodie also has clients in Thailand right now, and we're looking to scale in the US and in India. So uh, that's, uh, that's the scope of things, uh, the way it mm-hmm. looks right now. Laos, I was fascinated yeah. when I, I read that on your bio about having a client there do you go to laos and service that client you know I'm yeah just, yeah tell us a little bit about that because that's real sort of frontier market stuff so you've got billing light you have a client in laos yeah share a little yeah. bit of an insight what that's actually like for you uh laos is very interesting in the sense that uh first of all it's no different uh uh, than Thailand in the way how things get done there. Right. And uh, I think the 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 marketing space, uh, the the customer space of uh, Laos probably doesn't get so well promoted as, as Thailand does. Mm. So uh, that is probably one of the things uh, uh, that 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 kind of maybe doesn't people don't perceive Laos to be such a big market but it's it's quite a it's quite an interesting market because uh the the technical know-how of people there is uh they they they're very receptive to uh having uh, a tech component in their business mm-hmm. i'm i'm not sure if i'm putting this across the right way but uh when we took uh, billing light over I was amazed to see how the young staff there literally latched onto the software right, thing. Right. There wasn't you know, any so inherent resistance it, to change. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. There was no, uh, there was no fear of, uh, mm. oh my God, I have a software to deal with now. Um, there are obviously certain uh, groups of groups of people or departments uh, who have too many interlinked processes, and there is always a concern that you know what we'll end up automating this entire process, and we won't have any human control on it. Right. Uh, so, what if someone makes a mistake? You know, uh, what do we do about that? But there, there are always, uh, you know, software requires a certain amount of discipline to be there. So that discipline can be inherently and over time, uh, um, uh, you know, be employed there. But, uh, but this this point that I made that when I when I saw their young staff, uh, they were very keen and happy about getting onto software, and they lashed onto it. Is uh, was really helpful. Was not only helpful during the initial uh, phases when we were trying to understand their processes in detail because they're very open about what they do and how they work. Mm. Uh, it was equally helpful during the training stages. So we would say something about a certain feature which might have been complicated and the due attention was paid, you know, because they were mentally prepared. I'm not saying that people don't pay attention. It's not like that. But the fact that there was no mental block about, oh, my God, you know, we have to work with software, allowed them to embrace software a lot, a uh, lot it was it was a, it was an easier process for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you must be thinking that the the you know this is not just Laos all over Southeast Asia. I know you talk about Indonesia as well. Do you find that sort of attitude? I mean, Singapore accepted because Singapore is a different market entirely. It's, it is. It's it is, well yeah. developed. When you think about markets like Indonesia or Cambodia or Vietnam, do you think they will be receptive to this kind of? Uh, you know, software solution as well? Do you, do you look at those and think, okay, there's a new frontier for us? Or is that sort of a hard market to crack because you're based in Bangkok? Even though there's similarities, you still, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure to be worked out to make that an easy process for you. I think from an infrastructure point of view, um, I wouldn't, uh, the thing here is that when I was with uh, SNA, we had the opportunity to go to Cambodia many times and, uh, pitch to clients and all. But I think at that point in time, uh, they were unprepared to take on something like that. And I don't know about the about about the situation there in the present point in time. But Vietnam, maybe, yeah. I mean, I haven't worked with anyone in, in, in Vietnam yet, but what I hear is infrastructurally and culturally, they're very prepared to take on new technology. Hmm. And uh, I will say the same thing about Indonesia. Indonesia, uh, the fact that uh, uh, there are no language barriers there, uh, uh, the adoption of technology is uh, a lot more easier. And uh, for, for a solution provider, 
the the ability to provision for a solution, a tech solution, is also easy because you've got the infra in there uh, to be used, and you've also got a very uh, outgoing workforce, which is uh, which is equipped to kind of take on new technology. Mm. So. Um, yeah. So Exciting that's, that's, times, that's what I would say about Indonesia. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're in a yeah, great space yeah. as well. Uh, in fact, uh, yeah, there was uh, a couple of years back. In fact, what happened was that the software park of uh, Thailand, uh, they had this delegation going to uh, Indonesia. Uh, they, they put together a bunch of companies who either had experience in Indonesia or were looking forward to do something in Indonesia. And we were a part of the group. So when we went there, we had a little roadshow and a little exhibition about a software product portfolio and so on and so forth. So it was quite interesting to see uh, uh, university students just walk up to you and say, I want to intern with you. And, you know, this mm. is my uh, knowledge and this is my this is my skill set. So we realized that. Um, during that time, I'm talking about uh, three, four years back, I guess it is, uh, if not very similar, much must be the same case at this point in time, that uh, Indonesia has a great push about uh, open source technology and using to uh, and having to use organizations, use open source uh, stacks. And over the time, uh, they've I've seen lots of enterprises there uh, use .NET and other open source parallel technology stacks. And given the fact that .NET also has gone into... Uh, the open source space here in the last two odd years, you see this huge uh, uh, tech workforce, university students having self-learned a good part of these stacks and they just mm. walk to you and say, you know what, I know this, can I contribute to your mm, development process? Which is which is great to see. Yeah, it's great for a founder to have it is, that it is, sort of it inbound. Is. You know, people who are motivated, that's the key. Yes, yes. Just, just in rounding up, Gauta, I'm I want to know, what kind of advice you would offer to, I mean, let's say I'm a a graduate from an Indian university, one of the, the you know, a, a top tier Indian university like yourself. I'm in New Delhi. I'm 20 something years old. Um, I'm listening to your story and thinking, yeah, this sounds great. I want to do something like that. I don't want to be just stuck in the machine typing mm-hmm. out code for the next 20 years. I want to do something. I want to make a difference. What would you, how would you advise me? What what should I do? Should I go down to Bangalore and find one of the startups there? Should I stick around in Delhi? Should I pack my bags and book a flight to Southeast Asia? What kind of company should I go for? Should I start my own business now? I know there's a lot of moving parts to this question. Yes, yes. And it's, it's I put you on the spot, but you know, without knowing too much detail about the the, the person's background, is this sort of general advice you could offer people? Because I imagine a lot of people listening to your story are thinking, yeah, I want a piece of that action. Uh, I think uh, it looks very glamorous from the other side to see, oh my God, I want a piece <laughs> of this action as well. But to get there is another story. Uh, and that requires a change in mindset. And the mindset here that I'm, I'm not sarcastic. The mindset here I'm talking about is that people trying to get very comfortable in the career progression of a career ladder. You are a SA and you want to become a senior developer and you want to become a team lead and then a project manager and the VP of tech development and C2 and whatnot. Uh, but that is the conventional uh, career ladder. If yeah. you really want to do something different, go out there, uh, see the non-tech side of things. Uh, and then then it's a completely different picture. Uh, and once you are doing this, this non-conventional process, I think that enables you to do lots of other things, which mm-hmm. is maybe starting your own business or becoming a co-founder to your best friend's tech initiative uh, or, or stuff like this, you know? And then uh, the place becomes irrelevant, whether it's New Delhi or Bangkok or Bangalore or Silicon Valley or Singapore, mm-hmm. then it completely becomes irrelevant because what's more important here is that mindset, not the place. Um, Agree. There's a com- you know, there's a company in India who is attempting to go to the moon and yeah. they got... Uh, uh, they, they got the Google, uh, I think the Google Moonshot Prize for the first round to uh, develop their uh, rover to go on the moon. Mm. But if you look at the founder's story there, it's again the mindset, the intention to do something and uh, to go after it, despite the fact there would be uh, how many things, how many people between you and me decide to go to the moon? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you see? It's so, a great space. Uh, that's a that's the mindset thing you know it, and it, it's not india or it's not thailand or southeast yeah, yeah. asia i mean there are five more teams like those guys who are attempting to go to the moon but again they are all there where they are purely because of their mindset mm. and once the intention is right 
uh, and you have a clear path of thinking that, okay, this is what I want to do. What happens is like-minded people start joining you. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I would say that for myself as well. And with, with eWorks, whatever we have done, you ask me how how do we ideally prospect for clients or how do we you know end up building our team to where we are right now? I think once the intention is right and the and the path is fairly clearly charted in your mind, so this is what I want to do. Like-minded people start yeah. joining you, so yeah. that's what happens. Yeah, very true. I mean, that is so important as well. People with a kindred spirit as well share on that journey with you. And just what about advice for that that conversation that? the the young startup founder house with their parents because you know there's that meme on the internet for the indian dad i mean i'm for, i've i've had a business i set up a business in india i've worked with mm -hmm. indians a long period a very positive period of my career mm -hmm. where the indian dad says to his son you can be whatever you like doctor engineer doctor mm -hmm. that sort of idea that okay for that generation you know the the generation before us the idea of starting a business is just crazy. You know, why why go and work for nothing for months and years and where you can be a, a doctor or an accountant? That's what we want in the family, right? How do, how do you broach that conversation? Because that's a tough one, I think, for young talent in India. Uh, I think uh, that's that's a tough one for, uh, for, for kids with uh, parents everywhere. Uh, I, I, yeah. I have Thai friends who... Uh, who want to do their own thing and the parents prefer that they get a get a get a get a job where the paycheck comes on time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know so um, i think that's uh, there's no there's no solution uh, out of the box uh, for that conversation but uh, there also is a bit of a mindset and a bit of a two-way educating process uh, you know so the founder talks to his dad and mom and say you know what okay this is what i want to do and this is where i can leverage uh, you know my my existing skill sets mm. uh, but like i said there's it's that conversation that conversation itself between uh, parent and child can be can can evolve over time and it can lead to lots of other things maybe dad becomes angel investor who knows right. you know so <laughs> that that can win. also yeah it's a win win so maybe dad likes yeah. the idea someone said yeah I'll, I'll be your investor that can also happen and yeah, i yeah. in fact to be honest with you um one of my uh, uh, close or not to close uh, family members uh, they are a team uh, dad and son they are a very good team mm. they have a they are running a software company in fact uh, you know i'm helping them to uh, scale one of their products here in thailand uh, they do a digital catalog by the way so uh, those things happen uh, those things definitely happen where uh, you know the son the 20 year old son says i want to do this and dad decides to go either way either uh, mm. no do a do a do a job with Accenture or mm. or Infosys or one of those big guys or all right I'll become your investor go go for it mm. and the and the second choice here when when dad says go for it uh, can be a huge uh, motivator for for the son here in, in question uh, and that's the mindset thing that I'm talking about so you know once that mindset is there I think it's uh, mm. that the opportunity is definitely out there for grabs yeah fantastic advice Gautam I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. And I think it's been very informative. I think the listeners would have really appreciated the advice as well. You know, the real nuts and bolts advice of building a software company, which not necessarily is talked about, but you know, as we talked about at the mm -hmm. beginning, you don't learn at university or at school, but it's really about getting out there and doing right. what all the things that you've sort of shared in terms of your advice today, really appreciated. That's Gautam Ganguly, everybody, the CEO, CTO, founder of eWorks Consultants. Galton, where do we find out more about you? Can you share a link to your website so people can go and check you out? Sure. Um, I have to say, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It was it was a pleasure to talk about all of this. And all of this doesn't really get talked about. We always talk about the software product exactly. and what it does. Uh, the story doesn't get out there to mm. everyone. So I'm, I'm glad uh, that this got out. And I'll be very happy if any of this information can help someone to, you know, build slash grow slash scale slash do their stuff um well to know more about me you can go to my linkedin uh, profile which is linkedin.com slash in slash gotham zero eight that's g-a-u-t-m zero eight and uh, the company is called eworks consultants the the website is eworkscorp.net uh, 
I guess you'll put out the links on your yep. uh, we'll next to your show. podcast for everyone yeah. to see. So that's that's out there. Excellent, and it's an inspiration as well. I mean, you, you talk about all those scales slash grow slash have the conversation with dad as well. Let's not forget that because I think you yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of people just need to learn from stories, don't they? When they hear Galtam's story, that plants a seed in their mind, which they think, okay, I can do this as well. You know, I'm not crazy thinking right. like this. So, you know, I really appreciate yeah, you right, right, right. sharing Everyone that thinks Everyone thinks they're crazy to think like that. But <laughs> it's actually the other way around. Everyone does think like that. <laughs> Excellent. Great. Galton, please come back in the future and share your journey with us because I'm sure there's more in that story as well to share. It's not over yet. There's plenty more. We're just starting the first chapter. So come back on and absolutely share an update with the world. Pleasure we'll be happy to do so yeah. whenever that happens thank you so much Graham. you've been listening to asia tech podcast find out more at atp.show